We're continuing our short series through the book of Philippians. We're at the latter part of chapter 3 in the very first verse of chapter 4 this week. And what we're finding in this passage is um, that Paul is talking about our identity in Christ. And this is a theme that we find throughout Scripture, uh, what it means to be connected with God through what Christ has done. And it is vital for believers to understand what it means that we are sons and daughters of God, as differentiated from the common parlance of saying, well, everybody's a child of God. Uh, to be an adopted child of God is a different thing. It is a new relationship with God through faith, through what he has planted within us. Uh, and this also means that we are ambassadors of God's kingdom. As uh, Beth Robinson said in the children's sermon a couple weeks ago, we are responsible for the reputation of God. It is, uh, we carry uh, in our witness, whether positive or negative, because if people know you are Christian, they are looking to you to act Christian. And if they see you act a certain way, they may assume that that's Christian when it is not in any way. So we are responsible for the reputation of God as we reach out into the world uh, because we are new creatures, new creation. The new creation has come because of what Christ has done for us. So we need to grow in our Christian identity. Paul talks about that very clearly here uh, in verses 10 uh, and, and previous, as we looked at last week. He says, I want to know Christ, yet to know, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation, even in his sufferings, because becoming like him in his death, and somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, Paul says, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which, for which Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Many of us are very much aware that we've not yet arrived, that we are not the Christians we hoped that we would be, or that we hope that we will someday be. But some people, because they feel like they're not the Christians they feel like they should be, um, end up disassociating from the whole process of becoming more mature. They say, oh, I can't go to that Bible study because those people know so much more than I do. Or I can't uh, take on a, a different role in the church because I'm not as good as those people. Well, the problem is, if you're not growing, if you're not willing to be in those situations, you're not going to grow, and the whole point is to grow. Until you grow, you'll never feel like you are making the progress you're supposed to make. To sit back and say, well, I'm not mature, and uh, that's the only option I have, is to miss the opportunity to grow in your walk with God, which is what Paul says is so important here. I like the phrasing he uses, pressing on toward the goal, straining toward what is ahead, pressing on to take hold. 
I'm reminded uh, if you uh, have ever visited the amusement park in central Pennsylvania, not Hershey, but farther north, Knobles Grove, I think they still have the ring on the merry-go-round where you reach out and you can lean. If you lean well enough, you can grab that ring and I think you get a free ride. I can't remember when I was there. It was many, many, many years ago, but I did reach out and grab that ring. And I felt pretty good about myself, so much so that I remember it all these years later. Well, Paul's saying we are to strain, to stretch, to reach, to get what we have been given in Christ. He puts it this way. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That paints a beautiful picture. If you just sit and think about it for a moment, the idea of we are straining toward a goal and Jesus is holding us up so that we can reach that goal. We have already experienced salvation. We have already experienced new life in Christ. And what we are called to do then is to live into that reality uh, Positionally, we have already attained it by what Christ has done for us, not by what we have done. But then, uh, experientially, we are to live into it. And this is one of the big um, theological mysteries that we have to deal with as believers. The work of our salvation is accomplished in Christ. But living into it requires further effort on our part. Not that we expend our efforts in order to be saved, in order to achieve a relationship with God, but we expend our effort in order to grow into the reality that God has already accomplished for us in Christ. And then I love this verse, um, in verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I have to admit, I've thought that verse a few times in various meetings or in interactions with other people. I think, oh God, make that clear to them. Help them understand how wrong they are. Uh, Paul, and the, the point, of course, is that, yeah, we are sometimes wrong. And to grow is to change our minds. Oliver Cromwell, many, many, many years ago, was speaking to a gathering of Presbyterians and said this, I beseech you with the heart of Christ, think it possible that you may be mistaken. I used that quote uh, a couple months ago, I believe, and the, the point is that if we think we're right, and we're always confident that we're right. We might not be right. We might be wrong. But if we are unwilling to consider the idea that we might be wrong, we will never be able to become right. Because we will hold on stubbornly to what we think is right, even when it is not. And believers, we know that we have not yet arrived. We know that we are not yet who we are called to be. So that means we are continuing 
in the process. And within this process, there will be learning, there will be growth, there will be times when we say, ah, I had that wrong. And in order to continue to grow in my relationship with God, grow into what Christ has accomplished for me, I need to admit that I'm wrong, turn around and recognize that the true path, the truth is different from what I have thought. Growing in our Christian identity is a lifelong process. Growing into our Christian identity is a lifelong process. And we don't do it alone. Paul goes on to say here that we share in, our, in growing our Christian identity. We are in this together. We are called to learn from each other. Paul is trying to teach those who are wrong how to get it right. And he goes on to say, um, join us together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Well, we might think that sounds fairly arrogant. Why would we follow Paul's example? And, and you would think me quite arrogant if I said, hey, everybody, do it just the way I do it and think just the way I think. Um, but Paul is um, saying this because he knows Christ, because he has interacted with Jesus Christ. He has learned about Jesus Christ, and he has learned the ways of Christ, which he described beautifully, uh, probably using a, a hymn that was already written, but maybe written by Paul anyway, back in uh, Philippians 2 that we looked at. Jesus Christ gave up his positions of power and authority and became a servant. This is the way of Christ. And Paul says, follow the example of those people who live this way, not the people who promote themselves, not the people who push their own agendas, not the people who are selfish and self-absorbed, but the people who live as Jesus Christ lived, giving up their own rights, giving up their own agendas, giving up sometimes what they want in order to serve others. This is the way that we have been taught to live. And we acknowledge that we probably don't want to say, do what I do today, but we do want to do what Jesus did. And we do know that there are some people in this world who live as Jesus would have them live. This week we lost our dear church member, Barb Rochelle, and she was one of those people. One of those people who always had a smile, always was willing to serve and to help out in every situation. It would be wise for us to follow her example in those things and to seek others who do the same. Paul acknowledges that we grow in community. We grow when we are um, relating with other people who understand what it means to be Christians. And we grow in our identity very well this way. I, um, the other day, Devin and I had a, a Zoom uh, party with some friends from uh, a previous life. And it was so much fun to share stories with those people. We've traveled with them. We've had a lot of fun social gatherings with them. And we shared stories of those travels. And I thought to myself, 
Why did we share those stories? We know those stories. We were together to experience those things together. We know what it was like. We know exactly what happened, and yet we continue to tell the stories. And that is because we know that we have a shared identity. We have a shared story. And it's beautiful to share that story with other people. And what we do then is we rehearse those stories when we see each other because it continues to bind us together. When I'm visiting with Devin's family, I hear the same stories over and over and over again. And I think, oh, these cockerels have so many stories, but not really because it's the same ones. And then I think, what does Devin have to do when she sits around with the Thomas family? As we share the same stories, the same common experiences, the same um, enjoyment of these stories from decades ago. See, the Cockrells are a family. They share a common identity. The Thomases are a family. They share a common identity. And the beautiful thing is, I get to grow into the identity of Devin's family, and she gets to grow into the identity of my family as I know the stories now. I can contribute to the stories even when I wasn't there. And now as we share experiences together, we have shared stories that I'm even a part of. We have shared stories as Thomas's that Devin is even a part of. And that is the way uh, we are as the church. We share stories with each other. We share experiences with, with each other. And we rehearse those stories when we gather, especially those stories that illustrate God at work and God changing us and transforming us into the people. And I'm not just talking individual people, although that's true, but the people, the collective people that God wants us to be. And Paul goes on to say why this is so important to have an identity with people who share your commitment to Jesus Christ. Because... Many, verse 18, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says this with tears. He knows that the most glorious thing in life is to know Jesus Christ. It's the whole purpose for which we were put on this planet is to have relationship with God. And Jesus Christ has made that relationship possible. And for us to miss that is tragic, truly. He says here, their destiny is destruction because they don't know Christ. They don't live in the hope of eternity. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. When he says, their God is their stomach. The word used in Greek is translated stomach sometimes, womb other times, um, appetites other times. I, what it really implies is the empty space that we're seeking to fill. And we've looked at that concept many times uh, through many scriptures is that human beings have this emptiness within ourselves that we long to fill. But only God can fill that emptiness. But what Paul is saying is that people who don't know God continue to try to fill that emptiness with all kinds of things that don't work. And some of them, what he says here, their glory is their shame. 
In other words, the things that they are so, so proud of are the very things that are in opposition to the kingdom of God, in opposition to what God wants to do in their lives and things that pull them away from knowing God rather than help them toward knowing God. And that is why their destiny is destruction. In Romans 1.25, Paul writes of humanity in general, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. All those created things, all the wonderful things in this life that bring us joy point us to the ultimate joy that is in Jesus Christ. And we should set our minds on him, knowing that as much joy as whatever it is might give us or promise us, the truest joy is in him. And we gather in community to remind ourselves of these things. Paul begins this sentence with the phrase, they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now here in Philippians, he's speaking of enemies of the cross of Christ as those who, if we measure it by their stomach, are saying, well, you shouldn't eat this food and you should only do things this way. In other words, they're, they're putting the law in the place of the cross of Christ. They're saying, no, we can earn our way. We can earn our way and you need to earn your way. You need to do this and this and this in order to earn God's favor. And Paul says, no, the cross of Christ accomplished our salvation. Don't live trying to earn God's favor anymore, but live into the favor that you've already gotten in Christ. And the other side of being enemies of the cross are those who say it's not necessary. Those who say, you're already okay. You're already just fine. You have no nothing now that separates you from God. It's the story of our culture. It's what most people uh, who do not have a Christian background believe uh, because of what the culture tells us, that everybody's fine. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about failure. Don't talk about inability to know God. God just loves you, and there's nothing in the way. But Christian theology tells us that there is something in the way, and that something is our sin. And Jesus Christ has canceled our sins, so now there is nothing in the way. But as we live into our identity, we can allow sin to get in the way because we allow sin to block our growth in knowing God. And let us not do that. Finally, we are to prioritize our Christian identity. Paul says, uh, our citizenship, he says, but our citizenship, comparing us to these folks who are enemies of the cross, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will become like his glorious body. There's a lot of debate throughout church history as to what the best atmosphere for church growth might be. The church experienced persecution at its beginning, and then Constantine came along and legalized Christianity, and then it became the, the way of the world, in a sense, the way of the culture. 
the culture was Christianized in a sense. And this has occurred throughout history in various places. Some people, some Christians live under regimes that tell them you are not allowed to be a Christian. Some people live uh, in uh, places where Christianity is the norm and it is assumed that everyone's a Christian. And many people live in places where Christianity is one of many faiths. But what Paul says here is our citizenship as Christians is in the kingdom of heaven. So whatever the world around us is doing, we need to put our sense of identity in the kingdom of heaven. And that will put all the other things in place. The problem that comes from uh, being in a society that, that um, punishes Christian faith, of course, <laughs> is, is obvious to be martyred, to be punished, to be uh, on the sidelines. And in our culture, I think admittedly, we believers are more and more on the sidelines. We're certainly not persecuted at this point, but we are more and more on the sidelines. But then there's a, there are problems with being in a Christianized culture as well, because, and I uh, spoke about this a bit last week too, uh, a Christianized culture acts like everyone is Christian, but being a Christian isn't about acting a certain way. It's about having a relationship with God in Jesus Christ and placing our sense of identity in our citizenship in heaven in what God has done for us and will do for us. And as we look forward, as Paul says here, to the transformation of our lowly bodies into our glorious bodies. Church uh, Christians who have... Um, who have embraced the, the cultural Christianity and Christianity being um, aligned with the government have made huge mistakes. The Crusades were Christians who were thinking of Christianity as a political force and went through and tried to force people to believe by threatening them. And if they didn't believe, by killing them. That is not the way of Christ, folks. We are called to help guide people into faith in Christ by guiding their hearts toward him. Christians in Nazi Germany had a particular problem, Christian leaders in particular, because the alignment of the church and the government was such that the, the government sort of runs ran the church. So when Nazism came up, church leaders had to decide to put their jobs on the line. And this was very difficult. It's probably not a good model. But the, the point is that our citizenship is in heaven. And that is our hope. And let us not put our hope in whatever form of government, whatever our culture says, but prioritize our Christian identity. And finally, in closing, chapter 4, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends.